anybody could take the API documentation and just pull a customer name and a total and say that they're integrated. But the quality of the integration is completely different. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 231 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. What does it actually mean when an app integrates with another app? So, for example, with your accounting software, let's say Zero. What does it mean when an app integrates with Zero? How do you tell how deep or not deep this integration goes? Here are Jeffrey Atizado of SMB Consultants and Clinton Cowen of Tradepad with some insights. Integration. That is a sore point for me because I find whenever I look at apps, they all integrate and I always find it's a lot more promise than true. When you drill down, I find the integrations are, sometimes the integrations are just, you can build a zap between us and zero or something like this. Do you mm. have the same experience that you find the integration often doesn't go as far as it first looks at first sight. Absolutely. This is something that we discuss at length in our app advisory certification camps about not all integrations are created equal. Zapier is a great example of a third-party piece of software that sits between software A and software B, but is completely independent and is prone to breaking. If software A changes something or software B changes something, then the third party that sits in the middle, they're just the meat in the sandwich. So Zapier can solve problems, but can also create problems. And we both use it extensively within our businesses for Tradepad and for SMB and and for cloud integration partners. But we use that because we know we can manage it. I would never put it into another client's business unless I was confident that that client had the skills and knowledge and time to monitor it and manage it because it's something that needs to be monitored. Because if it breaks, you may not know, then all of a sudden you haven't got stuff flowing to zero. So we always prefer a native integration, a native integration where software A has built a direct connection to software B with no third party in between is always the preferred method because I'll use an example of ServiceMate and Zero. ServiceMate has done the work to connect into Zero. So if Zero changes something in their API, ServiceMate's aware of it and they'll manage it and maintain it and keep it in place. And if something changes, they take the responsibility to keep on top of it all. Whereas when you've got a third party that sits in the middle, that's not always the case. Yeah. I'm surprised that you that you do Zapier's. I, I would have expected that you would say, no, we only do native integrations. We don't. For clients, yes. Yeah. For our own internal businesses, because we can manage it. Okay. Absolutely. It's but a great clients- tool for us. For clients, yeah, 100%. So we classify integrations into different categories. So there's the native integrations, there's the third-party integrations, there's plugins, and then there's Zapier connections. Those are the four categories. And unfortunately, they all get looped into one called integrations because they all serve that same function, but the quality of the integration is completely different between those four different distinctions. Native integration is easy to understand. One software clearly talks to the other one. But don't you find even the native integration, there's a degree, like some native integrations go really deep and they have basically mapped all data fields and other native integrations only have 
mapped the very basic. Well, that's that's one of the things that I raised with that slide in 2016 is that when Zero came into the market, they came with an API, which was sort of the answer to everything. We have an API you can integrate to us, yeah, and it was a bit of API is for the native integration. Yeah, well, it's the plumbing. What allows you to communicate? It's the default points that you can plumb into zero to extract or feed information into zero. So zero was, and this isn't zero's fault. Everybody did this. They said, we have an API you can integrate to us. And it was a bit of the wild, wild west. Anybody could take the API documentation and just pull a customer name and a total and say that they were integrated. There was no documentation or review or criteria to say, well, what does the actual integration do? Now that's changed. Zero have taken a front foot in this. If you actually go to their apps page and you look at an app, they'll actually list now what does the actual integration do. They actually have teams now that curate and test the integrations to make sure that they are up to a particular standard. But in the early days, it was the wild, wild west. Anybody could just pull a little bit of information, put the Zero logo on their website. And this is what people were doing as they were searching and combing the internet, looking for that zero logo. And as soon as they found it, they went, oh, it's integrated. It's going to solve all my problems on the assumption that everything would integrate perfectly. And then they put it in and then they realized that the design of each integration is completely different. And I guess that's what we bring to the table is that we understand what all these integrations do because we do the plumbing every day in and out. We understand what they can and what they can't do. And all of these apps, while they claim to be integrated, they all work a little bit differently. And you have to understand what the differences are between them. The app is free to decide how far they integrate or not. It's just that Zero makes this now more obvious by listing exactly how far the integration goes. But well, Zero does do that. I mean, they, they make sure that any apps that they list on their marketplace that they have actually looked at it and make sure that the app is the integration is working correctly but they don't specifically say you must do at least these things they just yes they, they just that, disclose it that the integration is working correctly and that it's it's to a certain level it's a very high level outline of what's integrated yeah, yeah. so it really takes the knowledge of a cloud integrator to know how far the integration actually goes yeah yes and a lot of times the only way to find that out is to get your hands dirty and get in there and do it and we've both learned the same way through trial and error. You make an assumption or an expectation. Okay, well, I expect this this piece of software to do this, but it's not until you get in there and you set it up and you connect it and you go, well, well, that's different. That wasn't what I was expecting. So this is what I was saying before about the knowing what a piece of software can't do is equally as important as knowing what it can do and how it works. We've played a major role in, in advising the software companies, particularly like if we have a piece of software that's based in North America, they often come to us and say, hey, what do you need to be able to sell our product in your region? We say, well, we need an integration to the accounting software. And they say, well, we've got it. We say, okay, well, show us. And then we look at what they have and yes, they've got an integration, but it's a very light integration in comparison to what our market expects. And we say, that's not good enough. We say, but we have an integration. We want to go to market with that. And we say, well, that's not good enough. We expect more. We want to have these things. Or we have existing partners that say, listen, we have an integration, but how do we improve it? Because oftentimes there's an integration and people, their users, their end users end up setting it up and using it in the way that it's been designed. But that doesn't mean that it's the best design. So they actually turn to us for some guidance to say, well, what are some of the things that you're getting 
roadblocks with? What are the, some of the issues that you're coming across? Because we work in the trenches, we work in the front line. We actually hear what are the issues that they're having, and we can relay that information back to the software vendors in the right language. Yeah, and there's uh, a variable in what's integrated between Zero and QuickBooks and MYOB, and even within variances of MYOB. So, as an example, Tradeify will integrate with all of those things, but what Tradeify will send into Zero is, and how it sends it into Zero is different to how it integrates to MyOB and what it sends into MyOB. So, there's variables within the different accounting packages within the different software products. So that was native integration, the first type of the four types of integrations. What was the second? Okay, the second one is is third party add-ons. So you've got companies so like that's Zapier. No, oh, no, okay. that would be somebody like OneSaaS, for example. So these are companies, very reputable companies, that have gone out and they've realized that they're like every software company doesn't have unlimited resources. And there are infinite packages that people will want to integrate with. So companies like OneSAS, they go out and they find these opportunities and they invest their resources into building these integrations that the apps themselves can't find the resources to build and support. And they do a good job. They must exist in the areas you work. They're a bit different because they are actually building the integrations. They are actually investing their time and resources to design and do the development to build the plumbing between these two apps and then monetize it. So that's one of the point of differences. They will charge a fee because they're separate from all of the software vendors. And while they do a very good job, they also have a big challenge in that they are trying to connect two pieces of software limited by the API connections that exist between both pieces of software. So they say, here's what we can connect to here, here's what we can connect to there, and we're going to do our best to connect them with what we have to work with. Yes, but they're limited to the lowest denominator. Correct, and when there are changes made to the API in either connection, then their product is also affected. So they do a great job, you know, but the responsibility to maintain and support those integrations falls on the lap of the person who built it, not on the software vendors. That's one of the biggest point of differences is that when you have a native integration, the app itself will take responsibility for supporting it. And that's, I find, if you look at any of the native apps, and I guess, I guess this is the argument that we took back to a lot of our main vendors is if you look at the integrations that really serve your product really well and grow your ecosystem and improve the customer experience, it's the ones that the app vendors support themselves. It's not generally the ones that are supported by third-party vendors because there will always be a limit as to how well that they can build their integrations. And then also the support of that integration is, is diversified. It's split between the person that built the integration and the app providers at each end of the integration. So that's the third-party integrators. Do you use those a lot? Yeah, but we, we don't. No. no, there's not many that I will recommend because okay. it's... It's too dynamic in terms of, and also it's hard for us to support that when, again, we're like, they're trying to build something that is the best that they can build between two software programs. But if there's an issue, I have to go directly to the third party connector and then they may be limited in terms of how they can actually support that connection. So very, very limited third party connectors that we actually recommend. I guess it comes back to, we're careful when we choose the apps that we work with to only be best of breed. Yeah. And best of breed typically means a native integration. So if it's something else that requires a Zapier connection or a third, sorry, a third party connection, then 
it puts a question mark over, okay, is that best of breed? And is that something that we want to recommend? But again, it's changing. It's changing all the time. So the second option is third-party integrator, but you tend to stick with the native integrations. The third one, I think... The third one is plugins. Yeah, so plugins are most commonly found like with products like Shopify, where you might have a marketplace that Shopify has where they say, our product is open source. And so you can go out and you can develop your own app apps that will plug into our package and we're going to organize them in a marketplace. And so a lot of our businesses will, let's say, use Shopify as a platform and then they'll go on to the app marketplace and they'll do a search much like the iTunes store. And you'll see, you know, hundreds of, of things that will solve different functions that can bolt on to the app. And now some of these are very, very good. Like if it's something that specifically just has to do with optimizing the front end experience, it can dramatically reduce it can add functionality quickly to a site and for a customer without them having to go down the path of investing in custom bespoke development. For example, if it's like maybe adding the functionality of offering a discount when you buy a certain number of items or recommending certain products when this product gets added to cart. Those would be really good examples of where an app plugin would be a good solution. Where they're not a good solution is generally where you're trying to use an app plugin that is sharing information or managing information that needs to be shared with other programs. So for example, if you're trying to create a B2B portal on an e-commerce site, you're still going to have to update pricing in two separate places. There's no central place for that pricing to be managed. And so that would be sort of not a good use of a plugin because while you, it is an online solution, it's not centralizing the product management and you're still having to manage it in two different places. So that's where we have to make a distinction. When, when is a plugin a good option to, I guess, improve front-end functionality of how the e-commerce site works versus is it uh, managing data that needs to be shared to other programs like the inventory management system or the accounting file? Okay. So... Another example of that might be, you know, trying to manage inventory. Like we have sometimes third-party integrations that, that will integrate an e-commerce platform directly with Xero. So they'll pull down invoice information and totals, but they won't actually track the stock movements. And that's another good example of why those type of plugins are not suitable or not, not the best choice, right? They're not the best level of integration that a business can use. And the fourth one is Zapier. Zapier. So you've got Zapier, you've got IFTTT, a number of these different programs, which basically build a platform that allows people to build ad hoc integrations in a simplified way. You don't need any level of coding understanding. It's they're providing a platform that says there's no existing integration, but we can tap into and we can simplify the information that you'd like to pull or push between these two different programs, but they're built ad hoc. What would you call them? Would you call them ad hoc integrations or integration platforms? How would you name this whole group? We just call them Zapier because they're in a class of their own. So you just call them Zapier, although they are other integration platforms than just Zapier. Yeah, that's Zapier. right. Yeah. You just call it Zapier. Okay. Zaps. Yeah, Zaps. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And typically, yeah, like, like as Clinton said, we use those internally. Like we probably have in SMB 150 zaps that is managing and pushing information and data and automating that. But that's because we can administer it. We can, you know, they do break. We have the capability and the skill set to 
monitor that and know when it breaks, how to fix it. But we would never recommend that for a client unless we knew that they had the resources to manage that. When you integrate the different apps, do you actually go into the nitty gritty coding? No, generally no. No, no. We don't normally have access at that level. No. We don't have. We don't build. No, we don't build. We're not the developers. We don't build custom integrations, and and that often is like it's it's out of the box. Yeah, typically it's out of the box. But then we've got some software partners that we work with where we'll make a recommendation to that product because we know there's some customization capability. But we would leave it up to the software company to do that customization. We might be the liaison between the client, where the client says, "Okay." I want to be able to do this, this, and this. And we might build a scope document to say, okay, here's how we're currently doing it. Here's what best practices are going to be. Here's the changes or the customization that's required. But then hand that scope document over to the software company for them to build it. Because we're familiar with the workflows, we're familiar with the business, and we talk the same language as the business and the business owner, but we can put it into the right packaging for the software company to know what to build. And that's a rarity, but it's... I'd say it's becoming more and more common where it might be an integration into an existing backend or it might be some really advanced automation that that's required. But we are, we're starting to see more of it. Two more questions. The first one is we covered API because an API is basically just opening up the software to a native integration. We covered Zapier's. Where does robotic process automation, RPA, fit into this? I've never heard that term. No. <laughs> I don't know either. Okay. I saw that on the question list okay, and I, I didn't. I, I like, meant to have a look into it. Okay. Where have you come across it? Um, there was a presentation at the uh, class conference by a law firm that had established a lot of RPA. So, for example, when you, you need to look up data or land titles, so it's kind of a robot that goes and pulls this piece of information from that database and then matches it with this database. And So it's process automation. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can do some of that with Zapier. It's like... And I guess this is now falling into another realm, which is more common, artificial intelligence, Yeah, right? Which is now with cloud and with integration, where it's brought us is that we now actually have all this data, right? We're able to call data from all these different sources and centralize it. And I guess the first evolution was to build dashboards. How can we visualize the data that now we now have access to? And now the next stage of evolution is not just to visualize the data, but how can we interpret it? How can we use automation to find trends and things that we don't have the time to analyze ourselves and be looking for, but how can the automation actually find these trends and tell us, give us some insights on what actions we need to take? That's really the next stage of where we're headed is actionable insights because we have all the data there. And that's, I think, the area that's really exciting for us. And there's, I think there's a certain level of this process automation starting to appear in some of the operational software that we work with. Again, I'll use ServiceMate as an example. There's some automation around following up an outstanding quote or following up an outstanding invoice or automatically sending an SMS message to the client based on when a job's scheduled a certain amount of hours ahead of time. So we're starting to see some of that automation occur, but it's still early days. And the most impressive one we saw was uh, with uh, Expert. So yes. this is an example where Expert is a piece of software that will automatically look at the business to see whether or not it's GST registered or not. 
and flag it and show the advisor that, oh, this is actually a concern. It's a risk that you need to raise with your client. And that's all done automatically. So that's probably an example of this robotic process automation where the advisor is not doing anything proactively to look for it. The software itself is going out and saying, I've found this, this inconsistency. This is a, a, you know, a risk and I'm flagging it for you and you need to take action on it. And last question, where do you think the integrations will go? Do you think it will be that the um, successful top of the breed apps, as you call them, will become bigger, integrate more and more functions so that in the end, while you might integrate six or seven apps at the moment, it might go down to that you just integrate one or two apps? Or you can't see that? I don't think it'll, it'll be either or. I think they'll both coexist. Because you're always going to have the people that will say, okay, well, I'm going to use this piece of software because it offers 80% of what I want and that suits them. But then you also have the other end of the spectrum that say, listen, I don't want to commit to this one piece of software. I want the flexibility. I think there will always be choice. I think as much as the software vendors will continue to evolve and improve and sort of bring on board more functionality, they still won't have the resources and be agile enough to compete with all of these companies that are specializing in one app stack function. I don't think it'll ever be an either or. I think they will always continue to coexist. I look at it from a different perspective with the types of clients that we're dealing with where it's a, a tradie, a plumber, an electrician, that might be working with another trade, a builder as an example, I expect to see a lot more collaboration starting to happen where the system that I use to run my plumbing business will communicate with the system that the builder uses to run their business and their projects, where the builder is able to raise a request to say, okay, I need Clinton's plumbing business on site on this day at this time, and that'll push a request into my me as the plumber into my system to say, okay, the builder's requested you on this day at this time. Are you available? Yes or no? Send the approval. So I think there's going to be a lot, or I expect to see a lot more inter-system operation. It's not, it's been something that's been talked about for years and years and years, but I expect that there needs to be some more standardization across the communication tools and the coding and the systems and the APIs before any of this will happen. But I expect collaboration to be the next big thing because the system that I use to run my business, like there's already collaboration tools that exist. A builder, for example, using Buildertrend to run their business and to run their projects. As a builder, I can invite my plumber or my electrician in to use my system, but that plumber or electrician will have a login to my system and my system only. If that plumber or electrician is working for three or four or five builders, they would have to have a separate login to each one of the systems for each one of those builders. So from a plumber or an electrician's perspective, from the business owner's perspective, that's not practical because all they're doing is logging into the builder's system, which is benefiting the builder, but not benefiting them as a business owner. So I expect to see that more integration and interaction between the various business management tools where there's some standard communication and flow of data. So I can choose to use whatever system I want to use to run my plumbing business, but I know that it's going to talk to the real estate agent and the strata company and the builder. And I guess it's more the B2B interactions, not so much the plumber interacting with a domestic client, maybe for invoicing or something, but it's more for those B2B interactions. 
some standardization across the industry that's going to streamline the communication and the flow of data and the data entry. Welcome back. So the four types of integrations are native integrations that connect via an API and then third-party add-ons like OneSAS and then plugins and zaps. After the interview, I asked Jeffrey and Clinton more about the camps they run for bookkeepers and accountants. What do they cover? What do we need to learn? They typically have questions. Oh, what? how do we do this? What app's going to work for this? What? And, and so I think the... After they do the advanced course, the advanced course answers a lot of those questions that they have after the intro. So the intro is kind of opening up the floodgates of ideas and then the advanced solidifies a little bit of it and gives them a bit of direction on where to go. We've explored so many different questions and, and so many different things and there's, there's so much to talk about with all of this and I guess that's why we created these app advisory certification camps that we run because we, I guess we look at it, how two businesses, Tradypad and SMB consultants are looking at these technology tools from a different perspective to what bookkeepers and accountants are looking at it from. So the app advisory certification camps are designed to help us share that knowledge and educate our bookkeeping and accounting partners to be able to engage in conversations with their clients and be confident in having those conversations and be confident in knowing that there is a solution that they can help provide to a client and not be scared because that was a consistent thing that we were, uh, feedback that we were getting from our partners was, I don't know how to have these conversations with my clients when they say, I want something to work with Zero or MyOB or QuickBooks. So I think that's what we're delivering with our camps is, that education piece and that confidence to know how to have the conversation and where it's going to go so that they can provide solutions to their clients. Yeah. And I think we should embrace the change. You know, I think some people listening now might think, oh, this is really overwhelming. Like I just, I'm really confused. I don't know where to start. Well, this is up to us to evolve the ecosystem and create an opportunity from it. There is, the software is and the technology is creating new opportunities if you embrace it. And what we're trying to do with our program is to say, there's opportunity for everyone here. How do we actually leverage that? How do we create something new? Because there are new problems that business owners are out there are experiencing and that are coming to you to solve. Are you able to address them correctly? Are you able to give them a solution or a service that addresses their pain points? because these are new pain points. You can't, are you going to continue to use the traditional model and the traditional ways that businesses expect to use your service based on traditional tools? Or are you gonna evolve the way that you interact with your clients? So let's do this together. And I think that that's why we've had such great success with our cert camps is that it really addresses the questions that people have with, how do I get started? You know, I'm confused with all the options. What's the best way to, for me to start? You know, what, what do I need to know to leverage this and make it a beneficial business model for myself, you know? So it's a one or two day workshop that gives a good introduction into cloud integration. Yeah, we have certification levels. So there's an introductory course, which invites people to understand 
where is the market headed? What is the opportunity? What role do they play in a specific project? We explore this concept of the GP and the specialist. How the integrations work. That's right. I think they have to understand, well, what has happened? What has transpired that is creating this new sort of breed of consult and the new pain points, new needs for their customers? And once they understand you know, the sequence of events that has brought us to there, it gives them a better understanding as to what the opportunity is and where they fit in with all of that. That's the first thing that we need to address. They don't know where they fit in anymore. There's, there's so much confusion as to where they've come from and where are they being pushed into. So we clarify that with them first. And once they understand- That intro course is a one day, full day, and there's a lot of knowledge in that first day. I think it really sets the stage for our next course, which is the advanced course where we can now then dive a little bit deeper into, well, what are the app function stacks? We do a deep dive on two of the app function stacks that we think are relevant to our partners, which, which are ones? payments and debtor management, right? We think that these are two app function stacks that our partners can confidently own. And we explore, well, how do they leverage that as an additional service? How do they uh, productize it? How do they market it to their clients? Uh, how do they price it out? Pricing is another issue that is, people are, these are new services that they've, they're starting to offer now. They don't know how to actually, or they haven't spent the time to think about how do I monetize it? How do I actually position this? A lot of people are having conversations with their clients. They're not monetizing it. Giving away their time and their knowledge. Yeah. And I guess the difference is we're coming at this from the perspective of we've already done it. You know, our businesses, Tradypad and SMB, are a byproduct of this innovation and technology disruption that's happened in the last 10 years. If we didn't take the approach of evolving, we wouldn't have a business model ourselves, right? If we just, if Clinton continued to be a plumber and I continued to be in the retail industry and we didn't seize this opportunity, we wouldn't exist now. So we're saying to our partners, the same opportunity exists for them to evolve into this new role of being a cloud advisor. It doesn't mean that they can't still continue to do their existing traditional services, but where the growth is going to be is in them evolving their practice into this new level of service that is a byproduct of the ecosystem of apps that is now part of us. It's not going away. Those two app function stacks that Jeff mentioned, payments and data management, they seem so simple on the surface, but once you start to dive into them and explore what's out there and how, like payments as an example, the different payment tools that are out there how they work, how they reconcile with Zero, how they work in with the operational software that we're working with. There's a whole advisory service just in that. And same with data management. What data tools are available? Do you use just the standard invoice reminders out of the accounting software? Do you use something like Chaser or something like Data Daddy? They have their differences and there's a service that can be built around that. We go into those. We chose those two specifically because they're probably the ones, the two main ones that we're getting questions about from our clients and they're not an area that we specialize in so we want to be able to pass that over to our partners and say here's a request from a customer that's looking for help with payments you take it it's, it's your space it's your your specialty you take it on board and the most exciting thing is to see how our partners are evolving themselves that they're actually now being able to be more confident in providing their own service and the solutions that we're providing to our clients that never would have existed if we were operating individually. So that's really exciting for us. And we're, we know that we're sort of, again, evolving this ecosystem and it's an opportunity for us to create something that never existed before, you know? And I think the experience 
when you have a business owner that can see that we're working like a GP and specialist, that these are two independent companies that are coming together to look at how this business operates and making recommendations. That's never been done. It's, it's always been done sort of independently. So I think that's really exciting in terms of where we're headed. It's a cool community that we're building, really, of the cutting edge advisors that are in this space. Welcome back. So this concludes our mini-series about cloud integration. It's a huge topic. We all struggle with it. So we will come back to it and talk more about it. But on a different topic, on the way out, Clinton and Jeffrey and I started talking about the Zero Roadshow and accounting expos in general. And Clinton and Jeffrey made some very good comments, which I wanted to share with you. The audio is not great since... I'm already packing up and we start walking down the corridor, but hopefully it's still okay. Cool. You going to roadshow tomorrow? I don't know yet. Yeah? Are you going? Oh, yeah. 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 Do you find that the attendance at these roadshows is going down? I'm just thinking of the accounting tech exhibition in Melbourne in November, I think, where basically nobody came the exhibitors were over themselves yeah. and, and I think Zero is calling like I received a phone call and a friend of mine received a phone call as well I think Zero is before, yeah. Oh, yeah. Zero called you as well yeah see if I was going yeah. Yeah, even though I was registered yeah. but, but, um, do you find that the attendance is going down that less people go to these a little bit yeah. a little bit there was less numbers at the at the uh, at ZeroCon this year yeah and I think it's a, it's also like even with ZeroCon and Roadshow, like a lot of firms tend to send their new employees yeah. around to these, where if they've attended a lot of them, like they don't really feel the need to. Yeah. It's not new information. There was always going to be like a certain amount of the core sort of industry people that attend these events no matter what. But yeah. there's also like a, a large percentage of people that just send their new employees to go, oh, you're new, go to this Zero event to to learn more about the ecosystem. I just realized, of course, there's ZeroCon and there's Zero Roadshow. Yeah. And what's the difference between the two? ZeroCon is a lot bigger. A lot bigger. And different And topic? cost money. Ah, okay. $1,000 to go to Zero to ZeroCon, whereas it's free to go to the Roadshow. I see. And they so focus the a lot more on rural. Sorry? They focus a lot more on rural, and and it's a much more condensed amount of information that they're like focusing on product updates or specific area that the content is not nearly as in-depth zero con they've got like just you know speakers and five or six stages yeah. so is there a workshop more to just sell do they have do they have apps, etc. Yeah, yeah, the zero yeah. is more for the is an opportunity for the apps to sell their their yeah. 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 yeah we've we've attended in the past as exhibitors but it's a much smaller, like you might have 500 people at, at the Sydney one, maybe not even yeah, 300, yeah. 350, but at zero con, there's what, 4,000? No, it's about 3,000 this year. Yeah, yeah so yeah. different size, different size. Yeah. Zero con's two days, whereas the road shows four Zero con is Asia pass. It includes New Zealand and Asia. Yeah. Zero con, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and there's, it's a different, I think it's a different outcome. I think Roadshow is for a lot of the newer people that are that are coming to, to, to like new to zero and wanting to explore things, whereas 
trying to, uh, a new person. Okay. Have you been to ZeroCon before? Yeah. No, I've never been to ZeroCon. I've never right. been to a Zero Roadshow. Just... I've been to an accounting expo once, but it's a lot of it's a lot of selling. Yeah, yeah. We found that people at the accounting business expo, which was same as similar to the tech, it, it was a real mix. There were people that were brand new to the cloud journey. They were asking, "What's the cloud? I don't trust it." And then there were people that were like our partners that are that are you know, really deeply entrenched in it. So there was a huge range. Whereas at the zero events, they already get it. There's, there's no one there that's that's asking the question, oh, the cloud, I don't trust that. I want my files stored locally. And, yeah, so I found the Accounting Business Expo was, yeah, it was different conversations, completely different conversations. Welcome back. In the next episode, episode 232, we will cover a topic that might not be relevant to all of you. In fact, it will only affect you if you have clients with some link to the US, either because they are US citizens or green card holders or because they have business or rental income sourced in the US that hasn't been subject to withholding tax or clients who move to the US but are still Australian residents for tax purposes. If your clients fall under any of these headings, then the next episode will be very relevant to you. Seth Hertz of Expat US Tax will walk you through the US tax system. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for the support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Bye.